Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Well, hello, Sharon. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good. I see you got a haircut. Getting ready for this big birthday coming up that you got. Jesus, you, you had to mention to the big everybody? one. Uh, well, I think after they figure out that I've been given anesthesia almost 31 years and been a nurse 38 years, I think they can do some math. Well, that's 69. So you're going to be 70. You shut oh, up. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad enough already. I can't believe you noticed that I got my hair cut. I know. Usually I didn't you want don't to say anything them. earlier. I want to say it on air because you always give me such a hard time for not noticing <laughs> these things. And I noticed, see? By the time you notice I got it cut, it's already grown back out. <laughs> but um, I'm proud of you. Yeah, well, good. Well, And another great episode put together today. And again, I might have to take a fire hose to you two. Today. I know. Why don't you introduce our guest today? Oh, I would be happy to. We have with us Lieutenant Governor Sarah Rodriguez from Wisconsin. And you know how I'm ex- how excited I am to have her on a nurse in political office and the second lieutenant governor who is a nurse in the country. And, and let's see, we had <laughs> Bethany how long on before as well. Yeah. So, well, how, how do you think I got in touch with uh, with her? Uh, you know, <laughs> I just thought you knew everybody. Welcome, Lieutenant Governor. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, for our listeners who might not know about you and your story, which, uh, you know, I, I did a little bit of stalking, I mean, research and, um, <laughs> and read about you and you have a very interesting background, but why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about you? Absolutely. So I just won uh, the election for Lieutenant Governor uh, this last election cycle. Prior to that, I ran for assembly, actually, and flipped a traditionally Republican district to Democrat. Uh, It was District 13 within the assembly in Wisconsin. That are the western suburbs of Milwaukee. And uh, but prior to that, I've been working in public health nursing for almost my entire career. And so whether that was as a the associate director of nursing for a local health department, as an epidemic intelligence service officer with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 
all the way to being an executive within a large healthcare system where I worked on population health management for vulnerable communities and really tried to give back to my community in large ways, small ways. Um, and, you know, politics for me is just another way that nurses can give back to the community. Oh, I love that. That's great. You know, one of the things that caught my eye when I was reading a little bit about you was the Epidemic Intelligence Services <laughs> Officer. What yep. in the world is that? And does that have anything to do with COVID? It sort of, it does actually. So the Epidemic Intelligence Service within the Centers for Disease Control, uh, you it is a two-year fellowship that you work with at the federal government where you do domestic or international outbreak investigations. And so I was very lucky. I was stationed actually in Oklahoma uh, when I was an EIS officer and got to do outbreak investigations uh, nationally and internationally. So I, I got to go to Ghana with the Carter Center to be able to work on a guinea worm eradication effort, was also one of the first people to land in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, be able to set up their surveillance system there, look at uh, morbidity, mortality after Hurricane Katrina. And that was such a good eye opener for me. And I learned so much within that role. Wow, that is, <laughs> that is a huge range of experiences that you have. And, you know, in my stalking slash research, <laughs> I saw that you, you also had two years in the Peace Corps. I did. It did. I was a Peace Corps volunteer. I worked on HIV AIDS and reproductive health. And honestly, that was one of the reasons I went back to nursing school. Uh, because when I went into the Peace Corps, I really loved the health education portion of what I was doing. I loved being able to talk to people, but many people assumed I was a nurse. And I realized I lacked those skills. I wanted to know when I was supposed to walk and when I was supposed to run, you know, if there was something <laughs> happening medically. And I didn't know that. And so when I went back to the States after Peace Corps, I actually applied for a return Peace Corps volunteer fellowship with Johns Hopkins in Baltimore and was able to get my BSN in nursing, my MSN in nursing and my master's in public health. So I could really focus on that public health nursing aspect of what I really love to do. So how did you make the transition into politics? I mean, this one day you're with the CDC and then you're yeah. running for office. There's so, gotta be a trigger there. There was a trigger and, and it was COVID, honestly. Oh. So when I, I had actually left my executive position at one of the larger healthcare systems and it opened up my own business. I was doing a healthcare consulting business from population health management, working with employers, healthcare systems, insurance companies. And uh, the spring election happened in Wisconsin. You may or not may not remember this at all. It was 2019, just when we were learning about COVID and we didn't really know how dangerous it was. We didn't really know how safe it was to gather together. And uh, we had wanted to move the spring election and delay it or offer more opportunities for people to be able to remotely vote or do it in, in, in a way where they didn't have to gather together. And um, unfortunately, uh, the Republican-led legislature within Wisconsin uh, chose not to do that. And I really wanted to have a broader clinical voice within the legislature, somebody who's going to be looking at things from an evidence-based manner. And that was my impetus to run. It was very frustrating to me that 
we should be coming together as a community. We should be coming together and really listening to our physicians, listening to our nurses, and be able to enact policy that creates a safer environment for everybody. And so that's why I ran originally uh, for the assembly and I won. And I think being a nurse is part of that. And I think you know this, Dr. Pierce, which is that nurses are are trusted, you know, and our voices are trusted. And those are the kind of things we need in politics as we move forward is to have some trusted voices. And I know that that can be frustrating for folks out there and know that clinicians are able to provide that perspective. What did you find that being a nurse helped you in politics or did it hurt you in politics? You know, I, I think it helped. Honestly, I think it helped because number one, I'm used to working with so many different types of people. I'm used to working within communities. I'm used to working and explaining things to folks in a way, complicated things, clinical things, and explaining it into a way that's simple and easy to digest. And so people understand what they need to do next, You know what they need to do tomorrow, what they need to do next month, what they need to do next year to be able to take care of their health. And that's very similar uh, communication within the political realm which is how do you take very complex things and really break them down for communities to say, hey, here's what we're trying to do. Here's the policy and here's how it's going to help and support you. And um, this is what we're looking for. We want, this is the kind of feedback we want from you. Help us to understand what your needs are. And nurses do this on a daily basis, daily basis within clinical systems, within public health departments. We consistently do that. I think that's very interesting because I think what turns a lot of people off about politics is that they talk, but nobody knows what in the world they're saying. And I think you hit the nail on the head. If you can kind of break it down in layman's terms, you know, I used to, I remember, you know, when Bill Clinton came on the scene and you would even hear Republicans say, gosh, he's just kind of a cool guy. I'd like to have a beer with him, you know? Right. And same type of issue here is you were able to break it down because of your background. And I think that's great. Well, yeah. nurses are translators. I mean, yeah. you translate um, medical speak to patient speak. And so you're doing the same thing in your political environment, I would think. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I do. And the other thing that because I've worked in in at the executive level as well, um, I'm also used to having difficult conversations. And so my district, when I first won, it was a purple district. And so that means we were pretty much evenly split between Republicans and Democrats. And I live in Waukesha County, which is outside of Milwaukee, which has traditionally been a very red county. So guess what? My neighbors, my friends, they many people, people who I work with are were and are Republicans. Yeah. And so when you're in that community, when you're in a place where you consistently interact with people who don't always agree, uh, you are able to have those types of conversations that maybe other people can't have. And we as clinicians do that all the time. You know, we're always talking to people. We're advocating. We are advocates for patients. And, and as a politician, we can be advocates for our communities. And we want to do what's best for who we're representing. And those are the kind of things that nurses do on a daily basis at the bedside, a daily basis, whether that's in public health or other leadership roles. And so it was very helpful for me to have that background. And it, it was pretty evenly split because I think I read that you won by 700 votes or something like yep. that. Wow. Initially, only 700 votes, right? It was a nail biter at the end. I think I found out at about 
three o'clock in the morning that I had won. But you were so already asleep was, and you didn't worry about it or anything. Oh, I couldn't like sleep. No, no, there was no sleep. <laughs> there was no sleeping. Yeah. Of course, 700 is good. It only takes one. Well, exactly. Kind of exactly. Just one yeah. to be able to win. Yeah. I mean, people say their vote doesn't count, but hey, it does. Pretty close. It, it absolutely did. does. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. All right. So how did you, that's a pretty quick leap to go from serving in the legislature to running for Lieutenant governor. Why don't you talk to us about that? So I loved serving in the legislature. I loved representing my constituents, but I could see how having a bigger microphone would be more helpful in Wisconsin and having somebody that has that experience of living in a red community, right? Representing a purple district, Wisconsin is purple as a state that I could provide a perspective, you know, at the executive level that maybe other people couldn't provide. And so I sat down, I talked with my family, I talked with friends, I spoke with um, colleagues and I said, look, do you think this is the right fit for me? I want to be helpful. I want to be able to shine. Here are some of the areas that I want to shine spotlights on. Do you think that this is going to be something that is going to be positive for Wisconsin? And it took me a little bit to decide, but at the end of the day, I decided, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to run for Lieutenant Governor, try to put a spotlight on some areas where I think we can have some bipartisan support uh, to move the state forward. And that's why I chose to run. And I, we won this last election cycle. And I am just humbled and privileged and so very excited to get started on all of this work here. Well, it was quite the win. You got 76% of the vote. Yes. Yeah, that that was for the primary. Yep. Mm -hmm. Wow. So does the governor and lieutenant governor run on the same ticket in Wisconsin? I did not look. I'm sorry. Well, no, it's okay. It's actually, it's really interesting. So um, there is a separate primary for lieutenant governor, but whoever wins that primary then runs on a ticket with the governor. Okay. And so we, we ran as a ticket. And so we won as a ticket. Okay. Cause in North Carolina, it's very different. You can have uh, two separate parties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah which we and did. other states, um, the governor chooses their lieutenant governor. Yes. Um, other states, that's how it happens. So it's a little different in every state, which I think is really kind of interesting. So you preside over the Senate. I do not. Actually. Do not. I, I do not. No. And that's a little different, too. So I don't preside over the Senate. Um, so I have some areas where I'm going to be focused on and I'm going to be um, 
the chair of the Interagency Council on Homelessness for Wisconsin, um, going to be a chair on a women's uh, political group that is going to be um, moving forward here and working with some other uh, health equity and equity councils within the state. An area that, of course, I'm very interested in is, of course, the work healthcare workforce shortage. That's mm-hmm. an area that I think that mm-hmm. I, I could shine a light on that. There are so many things that we can do to try to get people into nursing. I tell everyone this is the best decision I have ever made uh, to become a nurse. I love it. I have loved every job I've ever had, and I've had all sorts of different jobs. And uh, I think that this is a fantastic career opportunity for people, but we need to make sure that that pathway is accessible and affordable for everybody and that we have the professors to teach them and the clinical placements to get them there. And those are all problems that we have, but they are eminently solvable. And we, if we can really put some great minds together, we can make sure that we have the workforce that we need moving forward. Now, nurses sometimes will say they don't want to get in a political office because they want to stay by the bedside and they can only take care of one patient at a time. How many patients do you have in Wisconsin that you're taking care of now? Oh, millions. I know, I know. (laughs) Just millions and millions. Yeah. So it is, um, what, what I say to that is, yes, we need nurses at the bedside. We absolutely do. But when I worked in public health and when I worked in these other areas, I was managing those communities. And sometimes you can have a broader income within those communities when you work at a slightly higher level. And so when you think about your influence as a politician, your influence in the political circle, you know, there is legislation that comes out that you as a clinician go, what? why would they do that? Mm-hmm. Right. And when you're at the table, you can basically say, Hey, these are great ideas. I see the problem you are trying to solve, but if you do this particular policy or you do this particular legislation, here's some unintended consequences of what you might be putting forward. And so, and if we are not at the table, if nurses aren't at the table, we don't have the opportunity to do that. And so those are the kind of things that I've been able to bring forward to say, Hey, when you're talking about this, what do you mean here? You know, and how is this going to be implemented statewide? And have you considered doing it this way? Are you bringing in the right stakeholders? Are you talking to the right people and making those connections? And again, I think it's really important that nurses sit at the table when these decisions are being made. I think that's a great point. And, you know, we hear that all the time on this show for sure. And, you know, I was, I was listening to you and, and just kind of thinking in the back of my head, I mean, how do you... How do you think it would have been different with COVID and the pandemic if more nurses would have been in places that they could have been at the table when COVID was being discussed? So I do think that if we would have had more clinicians um, at the table, that hopefully we would have communicated the way that I know nurses communicate, right? Is we meet people where they are. And then we can give them the information they need to be able to uh, take that one step forward. And some of us are a little further ahead than others. And some of us are a little bit further behind in terms of our either knowledge level, education, all of those things. And so um, if we had clinicians sitting at that table, really looking at evidence-based practice, maybe it would have been a little bit of a different conversation. Uh, How do we implement this in the real world? And that's what I think nurses do all the time is we say, that's great. This research is fantastic. How do we translate this into a real world intervention? And how does that work for people 
actually on the ground. And so really thinking through those scenarios, I think nurses are very, very good at. And um, I think that would have been a fantastic way for us to be able to manage this just a little bit better. I think we've done a good job. Um, you know, Wisconsin has one of the uh, the best states in terms of getting vaccines into arms. Um, Wisconsin has done a really fantastic job in getting dollars into small businesses and economic development. We're actually number one in the country for that, for some of those federal dollars. But, you know, again, there, we can always improve. We can always look back and say, hey, what could we have done differently? How could we have done a better job? So you just came into office January 3rd. What's been yeah. one of the biggest surprises for you since you got into this role? Gosh, um, it has been really interesting. Um, I think I come from private industry and I've worked in the government and I've worked in all sorts of different places. And I think there are just some consistencies that are across every different type of organization. And communication is always key. And that's one of the areas that I think when we're talking about how do we communicate out to people in Wisconsin, how do we communicate to our legislators on either side of the aisle, what does that look like globally and holistically? I think we can learn a lot from each other on the private industry side, on the governmental side, and in, in, in being able to uh, communicate well across, um, across the entire state and, and with our legislators here. Uh, but I've been really excited about people reaching out, really wanting to talk to me and say, hey, you've got this unique perspective from a clinical perspective, you know, help, help me to solve this problem. And that's what I love about this job is that I can come in and basically say, hey, here's here's an issue that somebody came to me, a constituent can we figure this out? Like, what, what is the concern that they have? And can we make this easier administratively within the government? And I love being able to have that voice for them to be able to make changes. Go ahead, I'll let you, I go, you I'll let you go, Jeremy. I don't want to monopolize her. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. We talk about financial stuff. And, you know, Sharon's always like, I've got to put a fire hose between you two and start the politics <laughs> stuff. And I know where this is going. So I, I try to get a word in edgewise every once in a while. But, you know, I, again, as I look at this, you know, you're the second nurse in the country to be lieutenant governor. Um. And again, it makes me think through this and go, why? Why have there not been more nurses before? Why are there not more nurses involved? And I'd love for your opinion on that. And then, you know, should more nurses run for elected office? I mean, and I kind of know your opinion on that, but I'd love to for you expound upon it. So, you know, I, I think it's a complicated question is why more nurses don't run. Uh, I think some of them believe that they can do more good at the bedside than they can do within politics. I think many clinicians, um, politics has become uh, a little bit of a zero sum game in some areas. It's been difficult, the partisanship, and that can be challenging, particularly for individuals who really want to help. Right. They want to help communities. They want to help move things forward. And the thought of wading in to a political arena where there might be some difficult partisanship um, issues, that can be a challenge. And what I would say to clinicians is and to nurses is that 
you've done this before. You know how to do this. You know how to have difficult conversations. You know how to work um, with different types of people. Um, this is an area where you can excel. And having that seat at the table is is affects our communities, it affects our patients, it affects our livelihoods, um, all of those things that you can have influence on as a clinician within the political arena, as somebody who can become lieutenant governor, governor, president, whatever you want to be, right? Um, you can bring all of those experiences with you and they provide a unique perspective. So yes, more clinicians to be, but should be involved within politics. Yes, specifically nurses should be involved in this arena. Well, I've always said there's health in all policies, yep. one way or another. So mm -hmm. having a nurse at the table is always beneficial. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. So what would you say to nurses out there who are listening, who say, I'm thinking about running? What yeah. would you say? So number one, I would reach out to somebody. If you know of your current representative or, or somebody that you respect within that field, reaching out and saying, hey, I'm considering this. Can you give me an idea of what this looks like on a day-to-day -day basis? I certainly did that before I ran. I wanted to understand what I was getting myself into. I've got a husband and two kids at home and was running a business at the time, I wanted to know what does this look like on a day-to-day -day basis? And so I reached out to several women actually um, who were in politics because that can also be a little bit of a, of a difference. Uh, so that's number one, what I would do. Number two, depending on if you're looking to run, you can run for anything. There are nonpartisan offices to run for. We need people on the school board. We need people in, as alders within cities. We need people on the county board. Those are all nonpartisan positions. And so that's an area where you might want to start and say, okay, let me put my toe in the water. Let me see what this looks like. And then um, look to see if you wanted to go further within the political arena. If it is a partisan position, I highly suggest that you talk to your state party to say, hey, interested in this? What does this look like from a support perspective? Um, you know, what kind of support am I going to be able to get if I run? What would you expect of me as a candidate? And, you know, have those conversations with your family, have your conversations with your friends, figure out your support network. Um, but you can do this. Uh, you can. And I think that every nurse that I know who has done this has been pretty successful because they bring these skills to the table. You know, I'm thinking of you, Sharon, and I'm going to ask her a question in a minute, but but Sharon ran for office, and I think you were really surprised at the amount of pushback you got from the, the MDs that are in our state that really didn't want a CRNA involved. Um, and I'm wondering for you, Lieutenant Governor, what what was the biggest surprise when you first started running for office that kind of said, whoa, wait a minute, you know, where did this come from? So, you know, I think the, 
The partisanship was something that surprised me a little bit just because I was living in a red county and I had friends and family and all of these things um, who who were Republican. I was running as a Democrat. The that surprised me a little bit. It did. I didn't get so much pushback from the clinical community, from the physicians here or other nurses. uh, But there was some pushback from, um, you know, from on the other side of the aisle. Right. Which, and again, that did surprise me a little bit, considering my position and, and how I've worked in, in different areas for quite some time. That was a little bit of a, of a surprise to me. But other than that, um, really, I, I ran during COVID, right? And so I had to, oh, goodness, um, call people. Uh, we weren't knocking on doors at the time. You know, we weren't doing any of those things. And running with one arm behind my back was a bit of a was a bit of a challenge. Uh, But I really that was one of the favorite things I got to do was to call people, right? I got to call people, I got to talk to them. I I got to hear where they were at. And you know, sometimes I was calling people who weren't going to vote for me. But guess what, we had a fantastic conversation. Um, They knew where I was coming from, they knew why I would choose the policy positions that I chose. And Maybe we were a little far apart on those, but at least we had a good conversation. And I think that's where we should be able to get to moving forward. Let me ask you a question. Um, there, you, you kind of made a drive-by about gender. And we yeah. we both know that that does kind of play a part in this. And there are two types of women who run for office. One is called a self-starter and they just decide, hey, I'm going to run for office, which Pretty much all men are like that. They wake up looking and go, hey, I think I can be president. A woman usually has to be asked around seven times before they'll run for office. Which which category did you fall into? So I I would fall into in between, actually, which I think is interesting. I wasn't asked seven times, but when I was looking uh, to see how I could help more on the political side, somebody did say, would you consider running for office? And my original response was no. And then I thought about it and I was like, okay, this is bothering me. This is why I'm reaching out. This is why I want to do more. Um, maybe the best option for me is to actually run for office. And so I originally said, well, I'm not sure about that. But then after I sat down and thought about it for a while, I was like, you know what, this is something I can do. This is something that I know that I can um, bring strengths to the table that other people might not be able to bring. And we don't have as many women running for office. Um, Within the Democratic caucus on the assembly side, we were actually majority women, but across the entire assembly, we were a very small minority. And so when you are, um, when you're a mom, you're working full time, you got kids at home and all of these things, that is a perspective that not everybody has. And so when you're looking at policy, we have to think about childcare. We have to think about all of these other areas that maybe, you know, people aren't thinking about all the time. And so that's, um, that's the perspective that I feel like I brought. Uh, There were a lot, which was a little surprising to me as well. Um, You know, I had come with, you know, some education. I came, I was an executive within a large company, uh, a Fortune 100 company for a while. I was an executive there. And yet uh, I got a lot of questions on my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Was I experienced enough to run for office? And I thought, 
goodness. Um, there are people who run that have extraordinarily limited experience outside <laughs> of doing this. And here I am with 20 years of, you know, over 20 years of being a nurse, of being an executive, of running my own business. And yet I got a lot of those questions about, did, did I have enough experience to run? And I thought that was really interesting as well to field some of those. That's a pretty common theme, actually, that we've yeah. heard across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Would you have done anything different now that you kind of look back on it? You're there, you're lieutenant governor. And if you look back, is there anything that you would say that maybe you would have changed along the way? No. Um, I wish I could have knocked on more doors. I wish it wasn't during COVID. That would have been a lot more fun to actually see people mm. eye to eye. Uh, one of the things that I really prided myself on within my assembly office is that, you know, we get calls um, about different legislation that's coming up and they want people, us to vote in a certain way, constituents, and they and they are saying, hey, this is important to me and, and I want you to vote this way. And what I prided myself on is that even if, you know, we were not aligned in terms of how I was going to vote, I called them back, you know, mm-hmm. all of them. Because I wanted to reach out and say, hey, I heard what you said. Tell me a little bit more about that. And then, well, here's where I'm at. And this is why I'm voting the way that I'm voting. And having that conversation, even if we never got to an agreement at the end of that, I really prided myself on being able to have those conversations with my constituents. And so I hope I can bring that to the lieutenant governor's office as well, is, you know, keeping an open mind to to what's out there and, and policy solutions that may or may not be something that I've thought of myself, you know, and continue to have those conversations moving forward. Well, we know that you are very busy. And are there any thoughts you would like to conclude on and any messages you would like to leave for your audience? And maybe that nurse who's listening, who's thinking about running for office? So what I would say is that when I got into this role, even though I had a lot of these other experiences, I was worried that I didn't, I still worried that I didn't bring enough to the table. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. That's, I was so, that's so female. Exactly. And what I want to tell you, and I want to tell those nurses who are listening, is that you do bring enough to the table. You absolutely do. Your unique experiences as a clinician, as somebody who has committed your life really to helping others, that what you bring to the table is enough and your perspective is valuable. And that if you choose to run for office, if you choose to do those things, that that will be helpful in a way to your community that you may not even realize. And so I would encourage anybody to really think about it and to take a couple of those steps, put your toe in the water and see if it's something that's right for you. Yeah. And Sharon, I was sitting here thinking about imposter syndrome when you said that as well. You know, there's a lot of people out there with that and we could have a whole show on that. But Lieutenant Governor, thank you for being with us today. Uh, We really appreciate you being on the show. Um, Thank you for all you're doing for the nursing community out there. I mean, a lot of our listeners are nurse anesthetists around the country, um, Mm -hmm. but certainly they are nurses at heart as well. So we just Mm -hmm. really want to thank you for all you're doing. Wish you luck. You know, maybe one day we'll see a governor and maybe even more out of you. And uh, we can say we had a, a governor on the show at one point. Well, then we'll, we'll have her back on the show. That's right. Sure. Exactly. I just wanted to set that up there. You know, so. I like it. I like it. Thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. And thank you for what you're doing here to really um, encourage other clinicians to run for office. Absolutely. Well, Sharon, I think it's a wrap. 
I think so. And we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. Sharon, if they like our show and want to help us grow, how can they do that? Well, the best way to help us grow is to leave us a review, but make it positive. We know there's enough negativity in this world. Absolutely. We're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country on the way to number... Number one, of course. Yes. We're already number one in the CRNA community. The sky's the limit. That's right. Until next time. It's a wrap. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.